Hello. That's good, right? I'm a little scared to say anything after this morning. <laughs> oh, I have to apologize for my wife. Uh, some of y'all saw my daughter leap over in through the window into the sound room because she forgot her key. She gets that from her mother, that attitude. Uh, not me, of course. I'm too proper for something like that. Take your Bibles, please. Find Colossians chapter 1. Now, some of you may remember that four years, actually it was a little over four years ago, when I first came, I uh, done a study on Wednesday nights in the book of Colossians. How many of y'all remember that? Four, five. God bless you. I'm glad that five of you remember that. But I did a study in the book of Colossians. But I do know this. Anytime that you do a study, you still miss some things. That's the, that's the, the great thing. One of the great things about God's Word, when it describes itself as being quick and powerful, that means alive. That means it always speaks whenever you come to it. It always shows you things that, that uh, maybe you knew and you forgot or things maybe you've never seen before. So because of that, and because of uh, last Sunday night preaching the sermon I did in the book of Colossians, I began praying about it this week, and, and I feel like that we want to go back through it to some extent. We're going to go through Colossians, and then perhaps on into the book of Galatians, and I just want to talk to you for the next few weeks on Sunday nights about uh, back to the basics, about the, the foundation of the gospel. Now, tonight, what we're going to look at, you're going to say, well, preacher, that don't seem too foundational. Believe it or not, it is foundational when it comes to the gospel. And again, that's one of the other things about God's Word. It can be shallow and it can be deep all in the same verse. It depends on how you look at it. Well, tonight, we're going to be not just treading on the surface of the water. We're going to dive a little deeper, but we're getting to the basics of the gospel is what we're going to talk about tonight. Look with me at Colossians chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Now, a lot of folks pronounce that Coloss, but actually the correct pronunciation is Colossae, or Colossae. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. Verse 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and notice this, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn, Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who has declared unto us your love in the Spirit. So again tonight, I want to talk to you about getting back to the basics. Father, tonight as we go over this passage of Scripture that uh, on the surface seems to be a, a shallow passage, but Father, when we begin to dive into it, It becomes oh so deep. I pray that you'll clear our minds. Let us focus on your word. Teach us tonight these great truths 
that we need to see. That we may understand what the gospel does for us. When we come to Christ, what takes place, and it is so much more than the salvation of our souls, so much more than the forgiveness of sins, and so much more than going to heaven one day. Teach us that tonight in Christ's name. Amen. C.H. Spurgeon once said that people have often asked me, what's the secret of your success? I always reply that I have no other secret but this, that I have preached the gospel, not about the gospel, but the gospel, the full, free, glorious gospel of the living Christ, who is the incarnation of the good news. Preach Christ, brethren, always and everywhere, preach Christ. I remember the story, I think I've shared it with you before, of Dr. T.H. Baldwin, he was a pastor for many years in Troy, New York. And after 45 or 6 years of the ministry, he said this, I testify that at 30 years of age, after examining as best I could the philosophies and religions of the world, I said nothing is better than the gospel of Christ. At 40 years of age, when burdens began to press heavily and years seemed to hasten, I said there's nothing as good as the gospel of Christ. At 50, when there were empty chairs in the home and the mound builders had done me service, I said there's nothing to be compared with the gospel of Jesus Christ. At 60, when my second sight saw through the illusions and the vanities of earthly things, I said there's nothing but the gospel of Jesus Christ. At 70 years of age, amid many limitations and deprivations, I sing, should all the forms that men devise attack my faith with treacherous art, I'll call them all vanities and lies and I'll bind the gospel of Jesus Christ to my heart. Nothing compared to the gospel, nothing better than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, we live in a day and time that's filled with a variety of religious beliefs. Emphasis seems today is placed on uh, you know one's denomination or affiliation or, or participation in some kind of a church or some kind of an organization as a basis for folks' eternal destiny or for their salvation. We live in a day and time when the pillars of truth that have stood for year, years and served as a foundation for our nation are being torn down. And because of that, many folks, for many of them, there are no moral absolutes. They're, they believe there's no such thing as absolute truth. Therefore, the majority opinion in our society in America today in regards to religious beliefs is it does not matter what you believe just as long as you believe something. Because most people think just, just believe something religious and if you do that, you'll be fine because all roads lead to the same place. Sad to say, folks, the cause of this delusion and the cause of this uh, mistaken belief rests squarely on the church in America today. The reason I say that, the church in America has drifted from the foundations of her faith. And we, for the most part, have succumbed to the opinions of men. I mean, many churches today, they're more concerned with being politically correct than they are theologically correct. And there's too many preachers that want to preach a social, social gospel that seek to make people feel good rather than a sacred gospel, a true gospel that shows people just how bad they really are without Jesus Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul, folks, he had the same issues in his day. He was facing the same thing. So he writes to this church at Colossae, and it was a church that was surrounded by a conglomeration and a, a hodgepodge mix of false teachings and beliefs. Among these false beliefs 
was a mixture of Greek Gnosticism that believed that salvation come because of knowledge. The more knowledge you have, then you'd be saved. There's a lot of people feel that way today. They believe if they just know everything there is to know about God's Word, they'll be saved. But they miss the most important point, And that is not knowing about God's Word, but knowing the Word. Knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, in Paul's day, there was a lot of the Jewish legalism that taught that if you wanted to get to God, the way to God was to practice keeping the ceremonial laws. It's also believed by many historical scholars that the, uh, the church, the Colossian church, they, they also had to face the teaching of uh, Oriental or Eastern mysticism. You know, that was uh, as old as Babylon is what they had then. In the 80s, we called it the New Age Movement. Okay, there's nothing new about it. I mean, they faced it back then as well. So, the truth about the Christian life was being distorted. It was being perverted to these Christians. The truth about Jesus Christ Himself was being distorted. And because of that, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Colossian believers to give them the right view of Christ. And to remind them as well, folks, as remind us that Christ is both supreme and sufficient for every need we have. To remind us that the Christian life all centers on Jesus Christ. The Christian life doesn't center on the church. It does not center on a good life. It does not center on your biblical knowledge. It does not center on how much money you give to the church. The good Christian life centers and rests on the foundation of Jesus Christ. The key verse, I want you to look at chapter 2, verse 10. The key verse, the theme for the whole book of Colossians is in chapter 2 and verse 10. <clears throat> look with me, it says, And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. The key to the success of the Christian life is found in Christ and Christ alone. It's nothing more, nothing less than Jesus Christ Himself. Every need, folks, now think about this, every need of our life is found and met in Him. We are complete, Christian, because of Jesus Christ. Now Paul, he opens his letter by speaking of the simplicity of the good news, of, of the gospel message. And he's speaking again of the foundation, fundamental foundations of the faith. And, and if, when you study these eight verses I read a few moments ago, it seems that when it comes to the gospel, what Paul is actually saying, this is where I got the idea from, he's saying when it comes to the gospel, it's time to get back to the basics. And he states three, I think, profound truths about the good news, about the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ. And the first truth I want you to see is the principle of the gospel that connects life. Okay, now when I say gospel, folks... Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Christ. When I say gospel, I'm speaking about Jesus. He is the embodiment of the good news. He is the embodiment of the Word of God. And what we're talking about tonight, again, is a basic foundational doctrine of the Christian faith. The fact that Christianity, the Christian life, uh, folks in the gospel, they rest solely on Jesus Christ. So keep that in mind. So the principle of the gospel that connects us. Now, a lot of folks don't realize this, but one of the first benefits the gospel actually extends to us is that it connects the pieces of life's puzzle together. Have you ever thought about that? When we come to Christ, life finally is connected. When we come to Christ, life finally makes sense. Amen? 
I mean, Jesus is the one I preached on this not long ago. He's the one that answers the question, what's the purpose of life? He's the one that gives us purpose. He's the one that that answers the question, why are we here? When we come to Christ, when we accept that gospel message, and we accept Christ, folks, He makes sense out of life. In fact, once we're connected, there are two new things that are given to us in a new life in Christ. First of all, we're given a new relation. Look at verse 2. Says to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. Now, once we come to the Lord Christ, Jesus Christ, through the gospel, we're given a new relation. What's the relation? Well, we're called saints. We're related as saints. Now, you know what that word saint means? I've preached on it before. It means set apart ones. Okay, let me explain it this way. Uh, A scholar that I was reading put it like this, uh, that word saint. He said it's an adjective used with a noun force to describe the transformation that takes place immediately at the moment of conversion. So what that word implies is, one moment, we are sinners. Lost sinners on our way to hell. Boom! Acceptance of Christ. The next moment, we are transformed by the power of the gospel. No longer are we sinners, now we're saints. That term saints in the New Testament, it actually, folks, embraces all the aspects of sanctification. Now, I've told you, sanctification, that's just a big double-jointed word that means becoming more like Jesus. That's sanctification. It's an ongoing process in the Christian life. And it reminds us that once God saves us, that word saint reminds us once God saves us, He sets us apart exclusively unto Himself. Amen? We're set apart. We belong to Him. We are His at that point in time. We're set apart from darkness to light. We're set apart from death unto life. And thereby we have a new relation. Not only to Him, but we have a new relation to our fellow saints. And as Paul puts it, faithful brethren in Christ. Notice verse 2 again. He says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, I love the way that Paul does his greetings and starts his letters. He, he does an interesting thing here. He employs the youths of both familiar greetings of the day. He uses the word grace. That was the familiar Greek greeting of the day. Charis is the word. That was how Greeks gre- greeted one another. But he also uses the common Hebrew or Jewish word as a greeting. Peace, which is shalom. However, Paul, he brings these two together. And what he does, he reminds the believers there and reminds us that in Christ, grace and peace are brought together. They are connected. Now let me say this, folks. The fact is, you study Scripture, grace and peace, they are twin sisters in the Bible. I mean, if sister grace comes along, sister peace is going to be with her. They're connected. They go hand in hand with one another. You see, first what God does is bestow upon us His grace. And then He brings His peace into our life. Amen? It always works that way. Grace first, and then peace. Now in Christ, when we come to Christ, we accept the gospel. Life is elevated to a brand new meaning. We find grace. We find peace. We find that which we could not ever find in this world. We could live a thousand lifetimes in this world and never find in this world grace and peace. It's only found in Jesus Christ. So we're given a new relation, but also we're given a new location. Look at verse 2 again. Paul speaks of their location in Christ, but also he speaks of a geographical location. 
to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. Now he speaks of that geographical location. They're at Colossae. Paul, Colossae, he was writing to a church that's in the city in Asia Minor, about 100 miles east of uh, Ephesus. Matter of fact, it was one of the triple uh, cities in ancient Phrygia of the day, which is now modern day Turkey. <coughs> it's one of the triple cities, they called it. Now it's believed, uh, scholars believe that Paul never personally visited uh, the Colossian Christians. He never made that trip. He wanted to, but he didn't do it. It was a church that was founded by a man by the name of Epaphras. He's mentioned in verse 7. And many believe that the church was birthed out of the, the great evangelistic crusade that Paul preached in the city of Ephesus. And Epaphras was converted there to Christ, and he come home and started that church. So Paul speaks of the geographical location, but also Paul speaks of another more important location. He talks about a spiritual location. I want you to listen to me on this. Notice he refers to them in verse 2. The saints and faithful brethren in Christ. In Christ. Now, geographically speaking, their location was Colossae. But spiritually speaking, their new location was in Christ. So they're now citizens of two worlds. They possess the physical address, but now as saints of God, they possess a spiritual address. Well, think about this. The same thing is true of any one of us who are Christians. We're citizens of two different worlds. We have a physical residence, physical address, but also a spiritual address. I mean, geographically, I, I reside at 14740 Poto Mountain Road, Poto, Oklahoma, uh, 74953. That's where I get my mail. That's where I live, where we raise our kids. However, I told you this morning, on February the 9th, 1984, I became a citizen of another world. I became a citizen of the spiritual world and the spiritual realm because of Christ. And so because of that citizenship, it does not matter where I reside in this world. It makes no difference where I reside or how many times, geographically speaking, my address changes. My spiritual address ain't never going to change. It's going to stay the same throughout eternity because the day I was saved, I became located in Christ. So there you have the doctrine of eternal security. And see, it's not just a Baptist doctrine, it's a biblical doctrine. You're going to find it over and over and over again in Scripture. We're in Christ. Now, think about this. Scripture tells us over and over again that the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God, the Father in heaven. So if you and I as Christians, if we're in Christ, that means we're positioned with Him in the heavenlies. Now, I preached on this when we went through the book of Ephesians. Now, I'm, what that means is the fact that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, that means that if you're a Christian, folks, then you and I, we're as sure for heaven as if we're already in heaven because we're in Christ. We've been given a new location, a new relation because the gospel connects life. But look at the second truth. The principle of the gospel that connects life, but secondly, the power of the gospel that changes us. Now, verse 5 talks about, Paul speaks about the power of the gospel. And stay with me on this, and I'll explain it. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. In the word of the truth, or power of the gospel. Folks, there's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? There's enough power in the gospel of Jesus Christ to save this entire world a trillion times over. The gospel, folks, does what nothing else can do. It changes a man. 
Now, people say, well, Reformation can change a man. No, it won't. It does not make permanent changes. The gospel is the only thing that can permanently change a person. And the gospel, here's the thing about it. The good news of Jesus Christ, folks, it doesn't seek just to inform or reform. It seeks to transform. And there are two things Paul mentions that are transformed by the gospel. First of all, it transforms the inward man. Look at verses 3 and 4. <coughs> Paul says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is giving thanks for what has taken place in the lives of the saints. He sees that transformation of the inward man. They heard the gospel message. They received the gospel. And now they're transformed by the gospel. It had transformed the inward man. Paul says, I've heard of what's taking place with you. The only way you can hear of what has happened with inside somebody, you have to be told about what's happened inside somebody. The gospel has transforming power. Amen? I'm reminded of the story of C.H. Spurgeon. Many of you are probably familiar with it. He was scheduled to preach a, a great uh, crusade and rally at the Crystal Palace Church, or at the Crystal Palace, rather, in London. The day before he went there to preach, uh, the day before he preached, he went there to check out the acoustics of the building and the auditorium. Back in those days, they had no microphones, so a preacher had to project his voice. So he just went there to check out the acoustics. And in doing so, he exclaimed this verse. He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And he listened to the acoustics in the building. Well, what he didn't know, there was a guy that was working upstairs in that building doing some repairs. And this guy didn't know anybody else was there. And he heard this bellowing voice come out of nowhere and say, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That worker, folks, the story says he fell under such deep conviction that he climbed down off the scaffold, got on his knees, and gave his life to Christ at that moment. Listen, that explains how a life is changed by the power of the gospel. See, it doesn't, we don't need to add all these things nowadays. We think we need to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ to make it relevant and to change people's lives. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Friend, the Holy Spirit can take that and can save a person. The gospel transforms the inward man, but also secondly, transforms the outward man. Now we all know this, the beginning work of salvation through the gospel takes place in the heart of a man. That's the inward man we just talked about. That's where God totally transforms the heart of a, of a, of a once wicked, wretched, woeful, sinful man. But automatically, or it should be automatic, the result of a transformed inward man ought to be a transformed outward man. I mean, if your heart's changed, your actions ought to be changed. Amen? Look at verse 4. He says, since we, <coughs> excuse me, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. Now it's interesting that Paul heard of the change that, take, that took place. He became aware of what God had done in the lives of those people through the power of the gospel. It had transformed their attitude as well as their action. It transformed the inward man. It also transformed the outward man. You say, how do you know it transformed the outward man? Well, because where there was once bitterness, now there's forgiveness. Where there was once resentment, now there's reconciliation. Where there was once hatred, now there was love to all the saints. Now I'm going to tell you something. The only way that you can love all the saints is, friend, you have to be transformed inside to out. 
For that to become an attitude and made into an action where you outwardly love all the saints. And it comes from your heart. The Holy Spirit has to do that through you. So a change has to take place. You know, before I became a Christian, I was just a young man. But before I became a Christian, there were people I did not like. Honestly. There were church people I did not want to be around. I didn't care a whole lot about the things of God. I mean, I, I, I figured I was good enough. My dad was chairman of the deacons. I told you this morning, I could quote Scripture with some of the best preachers around because I grew up in the church. I had all the mental assent there was. And I agreed with all of it. But I didn't like being around certain people. I didn't like thinking about certain things. But I'm telling you, the day that I responded to the truth of the gospel, something wonderful, something transforming happened in my life. It changed my three looks. It changed my inward look. It changed my upward look toward God. And it changed my outward look toward other people. Those that I once didn't have any desire to be around, suddenly they were my brothers and sisters. They were in my family. I mean, those that I once despised to be around, now they were the ones that I want to be around. I mean, Christian, listen. Christians want to be around other Christians. You, you agree with that? That's the transforming power of the gospel. It changes us completely. It begins inwardly and it continues to the outward man. Now notice the final thing Paul mentions about the gospel. Not only the principle of the gospel that connects us and connects life, the power of the gospel that changes us will change your life, but the purpose of the gospel that completes us, that completes life. Verse 6. Paul refers to the ultimate purpose of the gospel once it's received into the heart of man. He says in verse 6, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and notice here, here's a purpose, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. I love the way that J.B. Phillips in his commentary uh, on the book of Colossians, how he explains this verse. He says, wherever the gospel goes, it produces Christian character, it develops it. I say to that, amen. That's a true statement. Folks, the purpose of the gospel is to produce fruit in our lives. It desires to make us complete in the Lord Jesus Christ by making us fruitful and productive Christians so that we might become all that God wants us to be. That's why I'm always concerned when I hear somebody profess to be a Christian, but there's no fruit in their lives. There's no productivity in their life. Because I'm telling you, the gospel will change you. Jesus Christ will change your life. He'll change your motives. He'll he'll change your desire and your drives. There's that transforming power. And the purpose is so that we would bear fruit for Him. Now I want you to notice something. Look at verses 4 and 5. There are three words used by the Apostle Paul which make up the basic ingredients of life. In verse 4, you may want to highlight these. In verse 4, you have the word faith. You also have the word love. And then in verse 5, you have the word hope. Faith, love, hope. Folks, those three attributes complete life. (laughs) You realize psychologists tell us that three of the greatest needs people have are, number one, something to believe in. There's faith. Number two, someone to love or to love them. There's love. And number three, something to look forward to. There's hope. Faith, love, hope. The Christian life, folks, 
that's produced by the gospel, by the truth of Jesus Christ. The Christian life brings these three ingredients into life and it completes life. It meets all those requirements, all those needs. As a result, folks, now that we're Christians, if you're a believer, then you can rely on faith. You can live on faith. Notice verse 4. Paul speaks of the faith of these saints by saying, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now the phrase literally in the Greek reads, The faith of you. Now Paul, he didn't refer to an abstract principle of general faith. No, no, he's talking about a particular action. Uh, I guess you'd say the point that Paul's making is that these believers, he, he knew they believed something, or, or better, let me put it this way, they believed someone. Their belief had become their behavior. That's what Paul's saying. Now look at the word for faith. The word there literally means to be persuaded that something is true and to trust in it beyond any doubt. So, it come, and that word faith comes from a root word that means to obey. So I'm going to tell you, I believe that W.E. Vines in his dictionary of New Testament words, he puts it the best, talking about that word faith. The definition he gives, he says, when a man obeys God, he gives the only visible evidence in his heart that he believes God. In other words, obedience shows our belief. Because we're only going to obey, we're only going to do those things we believe. You agree with that? Obedience shows belief. What's in your heart's going to be uh, evidenced in your life. Or to use a phrase I've used many times, Oklahoma English, what's in the well is going to come up in the bucket. The faith, folks, which the Bible speaks of, understand, faith, a lot of people, they don't grasp what faith really is. It's not a blind leap in the dark. Biblical faith has a solid substance. It's based on fact. It's ground in evidence. Biblical faith, and here's a good definition, it takes what God has said and believes it as if it's already taken place. It's already happened. The truth of the gospel, folks, gives us a reason to believe. It gives us a right to believe, and it gives us a resource to believe. We can uh, not only rely on faith, but folks, we can also live in love. That's what Paul says, verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. <coughs> Notice verse 8. He again speaks of their love. He says, Who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Another translation of verse 8, one of the, the modern English translations, renders the verse this way. Your love which is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, folks. Here in verse 8, that's the only time the Spirit is mentioned in the entire book. Of Colossians. It's only mentioned, the Holy Spirit, He's only mentioned one time. And He's mentioned in relation to love. So what Paul's doing, he's emphasizing that only the Holy Spirit gives us love for all the saints. I'm going to say it again. Some people, some people, we could not love on our own. I know it's bad for preachers to say that behind the pulpit, right? I'm, I'm being honest with you. There's some people we could not love on our own. But we can love them through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can lead us. Up. And let me make this real clear. We are commanded to love all the saints. Right? We're commanded to love the saints. Well, if we're commanded to love the saints, then we ought to love the saints because we can love the saints. The Holy Spirit gives us what we need. Now, because of the purpose of the Gospel, the fact that it completes us, as a Christian, we can rely on faith, we can remain in love, and then notice the last thing. We can rest in hope. Look at verse 5. 
For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. That word for that begins verse 5, it's better rendered because or, or through. Because of or through. What Paul does here, he completes the trilogy of the basic needs of life. Faith, love, hope. The gospel satisfies every one of those needs. Because of the gospel, we can rely on faith. We have something and someone to believe in and lay hold of. Because of the gospel, Christian, we can remain in love. The Holy Spirit who indwells us gives us the ability to love what we once hated and hate what we once loved. And because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can rest in hope. Now this is where the rubber is going to meet the road for some folks. We can endure the troubles, the trials, the tribulations of this life because of the hope which is laid up for us in heaven. Now we all live every day. Faith, love, hope. Mark Twain uh, made a compelling comment one time. He said, once a man ceases to have hope, he'll curse the very day he was born. Folks, the hope in which we can now rest as believers is not some fancied feeling, uh, you know, future bliss. No, the hope the Bible talks about is a present experience which gives composure to everyday life that we're living right now. You see, true biblical hope, it reaches into the future and brings it back into the present day. True biblical hope, it reaches up to heaven and it brings it down to earth. The hope, folks, of the believer is that God's way is the right way, is the best way, and is the only way. You see, true biblical hope for a believer is the hope the Bible speaks of is confidence that it's better to stake your life in eternity on what God says than to believe what the world says. That's true hope. As believers, we realize that this life's not all there is. You agree with that? If you've ever heard me preach a funeral, you've heard me say that, and I've preached it many times. This life is not all there is. We know there's something beyond this life because of Jesus Christ. We know this world is not our home. As old song says, we're just passing through. So that living hope, all right, listen to me, Christian, that hope as a Christian that we live with every day, that motivates our love and that strengthens our faith. Amen? The hope that this is not all there is. Because of Jesus, there's so much more. I remember reading about a group of atheists that were having a, a conversation, and actually they were critiquing and criticizing the Bible, and one of them spoke up, and he spoke about creation. He said, What man with any common sense whatsoever would believe that just a few thousand years ago that God uh, stooped down, picked up a chunk of mud, and breathed on it, and changed that mud into a human being? Well, there was a Christian man who was standing nearby and he overheard the conversation. And he responded to what this man said by saying this. He said, friend, I cannot answer all the questions about creation, but this one thing I do know. One night, God stooped down and picked up the dirtiest, filthiest, vilest piece of mud in this city. And he breathed upon it by His Holy Spirit. And He changed a gambling, thieving, womanizing, drunken wretch into a peace-loving family man of God. I know because I was that man. That's the power of the gospel. Let me ask you, Christian, does that description sound familiar? If you're saved, it should because that's exactly what God did the day we responded to the truth of the Word of God through the gospel. When we responded to Jesus Christ, He altered our course, He changed our ways, He transformed our lives. 
The principle of the gospel is that it connects life. The power of the gospel, it changes life. The purpose of the gospel, it completes life. Now many churches, folks, uh, throughout America, and, and we've got churches right here in our own county, in our own area, they've attempted to shy away from preaching the only thing that can offer help to hurting humanity, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason they have is because they don't want to offend somebody. The gospel is offensive to sin. The gospel is offensive to Satan. The gospel is offensive to this world. Because the truth is always divisive. But the gospel is the only thing that can transform lives, that can complete lives, that can give purpose to lives. So why would we do anything else? You know what? Churches nowadays, we have sought to employ the use of so many other things to reach people. Let me make something real clear and state it very precise. Folks, there's a tremendous difference between drawing a crowd and making disciples. All right? Now, listen to me. You can draw a crowd with music, with programs, with activities, with parties, but you cannot make disciples without the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're not called to draw a crowd. We're called to make disciples. That's what our Lord and Savior, our commander, our general, that's the orders He gave before He ascended. And they have not changed. The only way to make disciples is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, I believe with the Apostle Paul, when it comes to the gospel message, it's time to get back to the basics. The gospel of Jesus Christ, God's Word, God's truth, it still works. It's the only thing that works. Would you bow your heads, please?